Welcome and thanks for listening to the Franklin Road Baptist Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. This podcast consists of the preaching and teaching from the pulpit of Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Our prayer is that what you hear from this podcast will bless and encourage your Christian life as you seek to follow Him. We strongly believe there is no substitute for being a part of a thriving local church. If you're in the Murfreesboro area, we'd love to have you join us any Sunday or Wednesday. But if you are enjoying this preaching from somewhere else, we want to encourage you to find a Bible preaching church where you can grow and enjoy the fellowship of other Christians. If you're listening to this podcast and have never accepted Christ as your Savior, we would love nothing more than to help show you how you can have your eternity settled and begin your relationship with God. Feel free to visit us in person or online at frbc.com for more information. Now let's see what God has for us from His Word today. I'm thankful for that. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to start a new series next week and we'll try to set this up. I'll talk to you about that in just a minute. Exodus, excuse me, Revelation chapter 12. And uh, next Sunday morning, God has led us to start a new series of messages from the book of First John. And uh, John wrote Revelation as well. But uh, we're going to title it, Beloved or Beloved. How the love of Christ revolutionizes our love for Him. 1 John is a dynamic book written to believers. I don't want you to miss one message, not because I'm preaching it, but because we're all going to learn some things together. I want to be very honest, if there's any kind of revolution that is necessary today, it is in the area of loving Christ with all of our heart and all of our being. It's high time that American Christians stop playing with their faith in Christ. I'm not talking about playing church. <laughs> That's obvious. I'm talking about playing with your faith in Christ. Jesus Christ suffered and bled and died for your sins and mine. and That's nothing to be fooled with. In order to have the great awakening that I believe that our church needs and America needs... And I'm not as concerned about America as I am concerned about this church right here because I can't control anything else. I don't do a very good job helping here. We're going to have to start at the beginning. And the beginning is your first love. What is your first love? What occupies your mind? And so this morning I want to try to set this series up by preaching the underlying thought behind the study I'm not in 1 John, so obviously the study hasn't started. I'm kind of going to pull back the, the, the cover and let you see how my brain works, I guess. But this today will be a very unusual message as far as the type of messages that I preach. I promise you next Sunday I'll try to be more upbeat. But I, wanna, I want to, I, I felt like that if I could just get people back off vacation, get them back in Murfreesboro and get them back in church, maybe we could start something and I want to do that next week by the way let me stop and say this does it seem strange to you that at probably the pinnacle time for church growth is April and August and September does it seem strange to you all of a sudden the the, the COVID-19 thing is coming back to us uh, there's a real live walking talking devil and he's never more successful when he makes you think he doesn't exist and so don't come to church sick but if you stay home, watch online because I'm preaching to our church. I have a burden 
for some things for our church. And I want you to be a part of all. Let's stand together, please. <laughs> verse number, chapter 12, we'll pick up reading verse number 7. In this section of Revelation, verses 1 through 6, there's a previous event that had occurred, and, uh, and that is when Satan <clears throat> was not cast out of heaven, but he led a rebellion in heaven. That rebellion drew a third of the angels behind him, and he drew his tail and cast them down to earth. And we're going to see a war that happens in heaven now that's coming. But this particular section of Scripture is a mighty uh, transition in the book of Revelation. And we see what Satan has already done and how he got his troops. And now we're getting ready to see God do something about that. We pick up reading verse number 7. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Boy, you ought to circle that right there. He didn't win is what it means. Neither was there found... Neither was there a place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out of the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Let me just stop and say this. This isn't fiction. This is the Bible. God is telling you and I something that's going to happen. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuseth them before our God day and night. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them, Woe to the inhabitants of earth and of the sea. By the way, this is the tribulation period, the second three and a half years. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. I draw your attention to verse 11. That's our text verse today. I'd like you to read verse 11 with me out loud in unison together. Verse 11, ready? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. That last phrase just grabs me. They love not their lives unto death. Let's speak on this subject for just a while this morning. And overcoming faith. And overcoming faith. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you please to meet with us. I pray somehow today that you'll rattle our spiritual cage, that you'll help us to block out everything else to occur this day. And may for, uh, for the next 30, 35 minutes have the attention of the people that I love and of our guests here today. Help us to understand you will have your way someday in this earth. May we love you, and may we be ready for it, for it's written in Scripture, and no man can change it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I want to kind of pull back the veil just a little bit and let you see how my brain works, if you will. 
I have a lengthy introduction, so stick with me. I will get to the Bible. <laughs> you don't get up and leave and say, that guy never did get to the Bible. I'll get to it. Stick with me. And uh, my voice is a little raspy here. And no, I do not have COVID. Just a few weeks ago, I was meeting with uh, two of our staff members in my office. They were not in trouble. <laughs> Just kind of going over some things, getting ready to have a busy week next week. And off the cuff... I asked this question, what do you think the greatest need of our church is? What's the greatest need of our church? And uh, almost immediately, they both said the presence of God. We've been talking about that, they've been preaching on that. Brother Joel preached a message on the presence of God, one or two I did as well, and the presence of God. Now, I knew what they meant by that, and you, you did too, but I wanted to hear them talk. I wanted to hear the heart of a younger generation. And so I said, what do you mean by that? This turned into about a 45-minute Bible study that I really wasn't ready for, but it was very productive. They said things like this. We just need God to show up so that we can have revival. Man, I thought that was good. And by the way, a true revival is when God shows up, the presence of God. They said things like, we need him to sustain us in these uncertain times. Boy, that was a big statement. How many understand that we don't even know what tomorrow holds? How many understand that you could go into your job tomorrow and it wouldn't be there? See, we thought we had everything settled. Had all of our retirements, everything was settled. Everything was just right, all set up. And then everything's changing right now. By the way, can I stop and remind you that Jesus Christ is coming again? And so uh, they said things like, People just want to fellowship with God, to know He is near, to know He's present during the good times and the bad times. So I continue probing. I ask this question. And by the way, they're, they're right where I'm living at right now. We need God. I don't know what tomorrow holds. You come in here and you think, oh, I bet preacher knows what's going on. We'll ask him. I promise you, I'm clueless. But I'm not clueless about who holds tomorrow. And who I'm supposed to trust. By the way, don't miss tonight's message about a good old-fashioned revival of trusting God. So I probed further. I said, well, how do you get the presence of God? How do you get God to draw near? You can answer that. Well, their answer will draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. Then I said, what has to be absent in our lives in order for God to be present in our lives? Can somebody tell me it's one word? Sin. Here's what I wrote down from our little discussion. We continued on. I made some notes here. First of all, three quick things. First of all, we do not get God's presence without obedience to his word and purity in our lives. You want God's presence. I want God's presence. It's not going to happen without obedience to the word and purity in our lives. God cannot and will not cohabit with sin. That's his nature. We're just fooling ourselves and we think that we have God's presence in the midst of a life of unconfessed sin. One man said it like this, and I quote, Repentance is not when you cry, it's when you change. Maybe I should say that again. Repentance is not when you cry, it's when you change. Holy living is not when you lift up hands to God, it's when you commit to a practice of living a holy life. Now you may ask, well, how are people so deceived? Well... 
I don't have time to go into this, but Satan certainly masquerades as an angel of light. And he often sends a lying spirit into people's lives so that without the word of God and the Holy Spirit's discernment, folks are often defrauded and misled. Every Christian is bombarded daily and sometimes hourly with the lies of the world. And by the way, if you keep that computer on and you keep that cell phone in your hand and you keep your TV on with all of us news, you're going to be lied to on a regular basis. And you say, well, what's the truth? And by the way, they're not all lies. You know, I still like hot dogs from Sonic. I'm just saying, it's a constant bombarding of lies. Most never realize that the battle that is being raged for their mind and soul is a daily thing. Now, let me stop here. I I, I want to make sure you understand where I'm going. The Satan does not sleep, nor do his missionaries, demons. They don't sleep. They constantly are coming after your mind. And the only way you can defend against that is through the Word of God. Maybe I ought to read about the armor of God in the book of Ephesians. And the Spirit of God in your purity and your way of life. So the second thing I wrote down from our discussion is this. Then I asked him, I said, well, what does it take for a person to sincerely desire God's presence? So we want the presence of God. These are just uh, general things that we (coughs) talk about and preach about. And so I just probed a little further. What does it take (coughs) for a person to sincerely desire God's presence? Here's their answer. Watch this now. A believer must fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. When the heart genuinely chases after the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a willingness to take up your cross and follow him wherever he leads. Isn't that what he told his disciples? He looked at Peter, he said, lovest thou me? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Lovest thou me? And you know the the probing he did with Peter. Trying to drill down and get to the heart of things to make sure that the disciples loved him. I wrote this down. Uh, Someone once said this this, just recently, the true gospel is a call to self-denial. It is not a call to self-fulfillment. According to the Bible. Now, I know we've not been taught that with some of the things we get off of television and, and the, the, uh, the, the folks that have the entertainment of religion and, and all of that. I know, I know you don't get that. I know that there is a crowd of folks that said, well, God's stamp of approval on your life is if you're wealthy and healthy. We're in a heap of trouble then if that's true. I'll say it again. The true gospel is a call to self-denial. It's not a call to self-fulfillment. And here's the third thing I wrote down. Here's what you need to know. Based on some of the study we had there, and this is just all preliminary, all of the disciples in the Bible experienced this love, and they wrote about it. All of them were persecuted for their faith, but they all passionately followed the Lord Jesus Christ to the very end. I think about most of the disciples, the apostles, were martyred for their faith. John was the only one that, 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 that died a natural death, but yet they took his body and they dipped it in boiling oil, literally burning his skin right off him. If you could have seen the man's visage on the Isle of Patmos, you wouldn't even recognize him as a man, yet he wrote Revelation chapter 12 for us. They had love for 
Jesus Christ. The American Christian is very far from this passion for Christ and the gospel. To put it bluntly, the closer we get to the return of Christ, we're finding that the church today is just not ready for what's coming. The Apostle John writes the book of 1 John, which we'll start next week, just prior to his arrest and banishment to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation that we're reading today. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he writes this last book of the Bible, which prophesies exactly what's coming. Yet we don't live like that. So with that said, wait, wait, introduction, let me kind of transition to the message here. I told you I'd get to it sooner than later. <clears throat> I heard a quote this past week that I thought was very helpful, and the quote was this, uh, the greatest cause for anxiety is uncertainty. I'm going to write that down, especially if you're anxious right now or nervous about things. The greatest cause for anxiety is uncertainty. In other words, not knowing the future. And the best cure is to just be ready. We don't know what the future holds, but we can be ready. How many of y'all believe that? One of my jobs as your pastor, you didn't know this, but one of my jobs is to get people ready to meet the Lord. It's my job. Here's what I know. A Christian that loves the Lord supremely has little fear of death, and the reason for this is that they have made the necessary decisions in their life uh, to, 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 in order to meet the Lord, and number one on top of this is their salvation. So right now, don't answer out loud, but how many of you know for sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven? Uh, secondly, how many would say today, if Jesus Christ would split those clouds wide open today, I know I would go to heaven to be with him in a rapture. That's number one. That is paramount. Top of the list. However, many folks stop there. Now, please understand trusting Christ as Savior is all that is necessary for a person to do in order to go to heaven. But with that knowledge alone, anxiety in the hearts of believers still exists. Why is that? Well, much of it has to do with the way that we live and knowing that God's not pleased with the way that we live. And then there is this uncertainty that creeps in uh, about, well, what's going to happen next? And you know, I'm, I'm just not ready. I'm, I'm saved, but I mean, I got all these other obstacles between me and God. I, I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. I don't go to church. I, I do things I shouldn't do. And, I, and you know all that's true because you know a little bit about the Bible and Christians don't do that. And these are things that Jesus Christ died for and saved us from. So all this anxiety is out there. We can come to church on Sunday and then tear somebody's lips off on Monday. We can come to church on Sunday and then do something that you know is wrong in the Word of God on Monday. And the list goes on and on and on. And that's why I'm saying that the church of the living God is just not ready for what's coming. Oh yeah, we're going to go to heaven someday. But all this anxiety exists in our society. Those who love God and read and, read and obey the Word of God are constantly reassured of the future. A person that walks with God daily receives daily comfort from that. No matter what happens in life, God will take care of them, and they are led by God to prepare for the best and the worst. In our text this morning, we fast forward to the future to a coming event that I believe will occur soon. That's the war in heaven, verse number 7. Michael and the mighty Arch, the mighty archangel rallied the heaven's angels and led them in a war against Satan, the dragon, and his angels. 
Satan is defeated and cast down to earth. This is during the tribulation period. Up until this point, we understand in Scripture he had regular access to heaven. We see him pictured in the book of Job where he, Satan comes to God complaining about Job, and he was called the accuser of the brethren. Unless you forget this, right now, Satan is accusing you and naming your sin and all your failures before God, and God holds back to him the blood of Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, the devil's main job is to accuse the brethren day and night, the Bible says. We find the resiliency or the toughness, you might say, of the saints in verse 11. Our text verse this morning, in context, the statement made in verse 11 is speaking of tribulation saints. But listen carefully. If you combine verse 10 and verse 11, the implication is for all the saints. All the saints can overcome. You may ask, how did God's people hold up under such severe oppression and persecution from the devil? Let me ask the question a different way. Listen carefully. How did, this, how did the disciples <coughs> stay true to God until death? How did the early church stay true to their Savior during the great Roman persecution? How did all the godly people during the, <coughs> during the 12th century Catholic Inquisition uh, hold up uh, uh, to Christ until death? Or the people of the Reformation in the 16th century. And what makes you think that those times couldn't resurface? I think we're being set up. I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> I mean God's trying to show us we better toughen up. What stopped them from recanting their faith? What gave them the power and energy to go all the way for Christ? And close to our time, what is, it going, to, what is, it, uh, is going to stop the so-called professing Christians from the great falling away of what the Bible declares as the great apostasy? Hmm. I'm going to tell you what it is. I want you to write these three things down, if you would, please. Number one, they're covering. Notice, please, they're covering. They're covering, in verse number 11, and they overcame them by the blood of the Lamb. They're covering. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and almost all things are by law purged with the blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness. Levit Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. The overcoming faith that I'm talking about starts right here, and that is this, being born again by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and knowing that. This is the last reference in the Bible to the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is, the overcoming blood, the enabling the believers to withstand the deceptions and accusations of Satan. There are these 43 references to the blood of Christ in the New Testament alone, all of them testifying of its great importance in salvation and daily in the life of every believer. Judas, the betrayer, spoke of this blood as innocent blood in Matthew 27, 4. Peter called it the precious blood in 1 Peter chapter 1, <coughs> verse 9. Precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The apostle John called it cleansing blood in 1 John 1, 7. And the washing blood in Revelation 1, 5, stressing that it removes the stain and guilt of sins from our lives. I'm just saying the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is our protection and has all the power we need to defeat Satan. 
Don't try to do it on your own. Story is told of Napoleon Bonaparte, that great uh, conqueror and wannabe world dictator. And, and a little while after his uh, troops had uh, heavily, heavy-handedly run over Europe, they paused to rejoice in their triumphs. Napoleon called all of his generals together, and the story is told that he showed them a map of the world, and he pointed to London, England, which was earmarked with a red dot on the map. Napoleon said to them, he said, if it were not for that red spot, we would conquer the world. If it were not for that red spot, we would conquer the world. It seemed as if Napoleon spoke prophetically as the red spot brought forth the English Duke of Wellington with a powerful allied force and confronted Napoleon at Waterloo in Belgium where Wellington defeated the French dictator as, as, and his mighty army in, in a tremendously greater manner. Let me just say this. The cross of God is our red spot in history and Satan knows that if it weren't for that red spot at Golgotha, he would have conquered all and because of that red spot you and I are going to glory someday and our sentence is sealed because of Jesus Christ we should not die and burn in hell because of the precious blood of Christ we'll see him in heaven someday may I remind you that the precious blood of Christ uh, that is going to it's going to take us all the way to heaven someday and once the saints in history knew they were hidden behind the fortress of the blood of Jesus they were safe from all the attacks of Satan against their souls he might well kill their bodies but he could not kill their soul Matthew 10 28 Jesus said and fear them which kill the body and are not able to kill the soul but rather fear not them which can kill the body not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy body and soul in hell and just like uh, those uh, saints of the Bible and the saints of the tribulation you and I are saved uh, that have uh, they're saved have every right to plead the precious blood of Christ on our lives on our marriages on our children our precious children on our ministries and may God help us to learn to use the blood of Christ to defeat Satan Y'all be a time some of you moms and dads pray over your kids before they start to school and plead the blood of Christ on them. There'll be time some of you husbands and wives join hands together and plead the blood of Christ on your marriage. There'll be times that some of you decide as you lead people in ministry that you plead the blood of Christ. What shall wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Shall he... Shall he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I, the song goes, at the cross, at the cross? It's where the, the Satan was defeated. When you bring up the blood, he remembers that. Number one, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Number two, notice not just their covering, but their confession. They stood true to the word. I'm just showing you how they overcame the devil. By the word of their testimony. They overcame him by the word of their testimony. They were not ashamed of being saved. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. I didn't write the Bible, I'm just reading it. They practiced what they preached. They would not renounce their faith in Jesus. The word testimony here in verse number 11 means to report. That means... They claimed to be redeemed followers of Jesus and they never backed down from that claim and they spoke it verbally. They openly and boldly reported to others that they belonged to Christ. 
Their steadfastness helped them achieve victory over Satan. He may have killed their bodies, but they did so with their testimonies fresh on their dying lips. When you love Christ with all your heart, you're going to have a glowing testimony, especially at the time of your death. I'm just saying your testimony helps you be an overcomer in your faith. What do people say about you right now? I'm going to ask you a very blunt question, and you're going to answer it before the Holy Spirit of God if you're born again. That's this. Do the people in your family know that you're a born-again Christian? Do the people you work with know that you're a born-again Christian? Do the people you live around know that you're a born-again Christian? You need to start today with a good, fresh report and testimony. Now, it could be, well, say, I don't know if I want anybody to know that or not because I'm not living right. That's exactly why you should have a good testimony. Number three, we see their courage, their covering, their confession, their courage. They were willing to die for the Lord. Verse 11. Now, this one got me. It's really what led me to the passage. Would you say this with me? The last, last phrase of verse 11, look at your Bibles, and they love not their lives unto death. Say it with me out loud. Would you would do that? And they love not their lives unto death. Say it again. And they love not their lives unto death. The word life, their lives, means more than just their breath and their being. It means their livelihood. I don't have the exact quote. It just popped in my mind of, our founding fathers of the Declaration of Independence where they said we, we, sign, we sign this document with our sacred honor, our lives and our sacred honor. They were talking about who they were as a person, their individual, their lifestyles, what they had to gain and what they had to lose. Paul said, I count all those things but loss for the excellency of Christ Jesus. That was the mindset back then. Please understand that apart from the disciples, none of our Christian fathers saw Christ visibly. The disciples, and this is the first verse in 1 John, this is the first verse that reached out and just grabbed me. John said this in 1 John. He said, who, who we were able to see and hear and we handled with our hands. Why did he put that in there? Because he wanted to leave a testimony of a strong love for Christ, for my generation, <coughs> your generation. They was telling the truth that we held in our hands and touched the very Son of God. We were willing to die for him. You and I don't get that chance. But we have the Word of God, and thus the phrase, and by the word of their testimony. They loved and studied the Bible and gave them, which gave them a powerful belief in Christ Jesus. And by the way, this is very biblical. In the beginning was the Word, John said. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. This book right, you have right here in your hands is as close as you're going to get to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says it is quick and powerful. And the word quick means that the Bible is alive. This is a living book. 
You treat as such. They develop a supreme love for Jesus by studying and reading the word of God. That was is such a love that was, they were unstoppable. They loved the Redeemer more than they loved their own lives. They would sooner die for him who died for them than deny him. Some of them were called upon to stand their ground and courageously face a, a martyrdom, knowing that when their, their life excuse me, left their body in an eye wink, they would be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Did you catch that? A moment of a twinkle of an eye with the Lord. And they wrote about it. When inspiration closed and the Bible was a complete book, our founding fathers sang about it. Faith of our fathers, living still, in spite of dungeon, fire, and sword. Oh, how our hearts beat high with joy whene'er we hear that glorious word. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we shall be true to thee till death. Verse 2. Our fathers chained in prisons dark were still in heart and conscience free. How sweet would be their children's fate if they, like them, could die for thee. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we should be true to thee till death. Now, I'm done. Next Sunday, if the Lord wills, we'll start how we can love God and how we can feel his love back to us and how that can literally revolutionize our life. The average Christian really thinks about that. Well, preacher says he loves, God loves me and Bible says God loves me and I love him and we're just going to move on. Don't be trite with that. Because if the Lord tarries, his coming, we'll all face death someday. And you're going to want that love to be strong. Someday you may be called upon to give your life for Christ. So how do people do that? They love not their lives unto death. Now, as your pastor, I, 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 <clears throat> I don't like pain. I don't like dying. I don't like any of that stuff. So I just wish this would just all go away. Some of you are saying, oh, it just all go away. <laughs> and we hope and pray it does. But according to the Bible, there's a generation setting in here. It may not be my generation. There's a generation setting in here going to have to deal with what I just preached if you're trite your love for Christ when I say that I'm talking about how to love him the Bible way taking up your cross and following him which may not be happy 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 all the time are you willing to love Christ that way let's stand together please our heads are bowed our eyes are closed I believe with all my heart what I just preached. And I also believe the Lord has led me to lead our church and to have a dynamic love for Christ. And there's a reason for that. And I want you to help me find the purpose in all this. Their heads bowed, their eyes closed, and no one looking around. I want to just ask a couple of questions. How many of you say this, preacher? 
if I were to die today, I know for sure I'd go to heaven. Would you put your hand up real high? I made my plans. Thank you, and put your hands down. Maybe you could not raise your hand right there, and it's between you and the Lord, but I want to ask you right now, if you're not sure that you're saved, if Jesus Christ would take you right now just like you are, and he will, would you come to Christ? They're going to pay softly here. We'll have somebody standing at the end of each aisle with a Bible in their hand. They're going to take that Bible today show you how you could be a born-again Christian. If you're not sure that you're saved, we want you to come. Don't delay. Step out and come. I want to ask Christians this question. Would you be willing to grow your love for Christ and the type of love that will be a, a love that be willing to die for the Lord? Say, preacher, come on. And it doesn't take that to go to heaven. I'm going to give you that. But it's going to take that to get you through the times that you're going to go through in life. We say we love our wives. We love our, our husbands. We would die for our, our, our loved ones. We would die for our kids. All that's true. We'd die for our country. That's great. If you're called upon to die for Jesus Christ, would you recant? Walk away. Let me ask you this question. How many say, Preacher, I want to love the Lord with the Bible love. Would you put your hand up real high? I want to love the Lord with Bible love. I want to study that. We could start today by just saying, Dear God, would you help me love you more? You find yourself a place here today and pray. We're going to sing and we want you to come. Father, bless this invitation time. Help us as Christians, Lord, please, to love you with a love that changes everything in our life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're singing right now, this altar is open.